0: Wow, okay. Hey guys, uh, welcome to another episode of How I Met Your Mortgage. I'm getting all kinds of weird audio stuff in our uh, system here, so typical internet type of stuff. But Jen, I think I heard our intro like six times, so um, I definitely haven't uh, committed to the memory now. Yeah. All right. So we okay. are back. Maybe it's the
1: medicine. I only heard it once. You only heard so it maybe once? Maybe it's just All in right. Adam's head. Yeah. Fr- <laughs> what you terrible. have in your coffee this morning? Whiskey? Um, A traditional one no. officer, old school? Kaluuya. Ready for the O.A.? Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. All right.
0: No, I, yeah. It's it's too early in the day at 6.30 for whiskey are oh, not
1: a processor, oh, Wait, Yeah, right. I'm not
0: a mortgage processor. I'm a mortgage originator. So I can go a little easier than that. And I don't live in Texas, so it doesn't have to be whiskey. Right. So um, we've kind of already had an intro here, um, but uh, our guest obviously needs no introduction. Those of you that uh, circumnavigate the mortgage space, and even those of you in the real estate space, our typical audience, probably know of or have heard of the infamous... Chris Griffith, welcome back to the show, Chris. Still infamous.
1: Like, I yeah. haven't been infamous in a while. Like, have you seen me being infamous and stuff? Uh,
0: okay, I'm going to say recently, no. No, your uh, infamy has been years, toned down. Years. I would agree. Um, but <laughs> I haven't seen her talk to you in a while. Jen and I saw you in Atlanta. We were at a conference. Uh, January. January? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so it's it's been a minute for sure. Um, and I think I actually even saw you in a sport coat that day.
1: Hey, I wear, uh, like, I, you know, my hypocrisy has limits. Like, i wear a suit here and there. I don't wear a tie. I usually wear a V-neck T-shirt underneath it and some tennis shoes because dress shoes are pretty uncomfortable to be in yes. all day. But, yeah, I mean, I clean up. <laughs> uh,
0: well, I don't know. I guess it's a debatable degree of clean up. So, we'll just
1: roll with that but
0: Chris tell us what have you been up to all year since we haven't seen you
1: since well, for one, all the people that listen to this they're like oh my god that are like for a minute or two man and like Christopher Griffith, like not this guy again for record I haven't been infamous in a couple of years and the only reason I was infamous was because when I came when I came on the scene in the mortgage space I've been in the mortgage space but when I came on the scene kind of amongst the larger viewership it was because I was really frustrated with the performance of many different large corporations and individuals with the way they were behaving around certain loan types and what that would do to the ultimately the consumer and the industry and uh, us as originators at the yes. same time. Right? still so happening, but go on. I was frustrated, and it's still happening, and I'm still frustrated with certain things, but the difference is at the time I didn't have means to impact change. And I think this is a basic human need. We only hope in something, and so the difference then and now is we have an organization of 150 plus professionals that spans not only the individual loan officer and real estate agent, but underwriting into lenders and other uh, partners and entities so that we're able to make a difference, I would say, in the problems that we're seeing. And so having an outlet to change the problems you're seeing will prevent you from becoming infamous, I would generally say. If you don't ah, outlet, there's a good formula there. And it's uh, probably helping with the frustration level as well. All right, When you're really frustrated with something and you can't change it, right or you feel like you can't change it and you feel like all the people that can and should aren't or aren't listening what do you do well oh you shut up you complain or you complain and you do stuff i didn't do the first one okay no you did not um
0: and we had you on the show a couple of years ago when it was uh, more infamy than change a lot, and the, uh, did you see this comment from joe Finehandler, jen that says finally a decent guest i'm assuming on yeah. your show. Didn't we just have Joe on the show? We did just okay. have Joe on I
1: the just show. want to make
0: yes. sure Joe that on man, Thanks, dude. <laughs> Joe. Ah uh, <laughs> boy, Joe. Um, so tell us what that looks like, Chris. I mean, we're we're talking about vetted VA here. Yeah, we're
1: talking so about vetted. This is VA, that sorry. outlet
0: for change that you're describing. Uh, for yeah. those of you that don't know what that is, go look it up. It has probably been one of the greatest catalysts for change in mortgage and real estate for veterans and active military that the industries have ever seen. And that's not me stroking Chris's, uh, yeah. Eric his beard. That's, that's funny. I would though, that beard has become Epic. We talked about that before we went live that it took you less than a year to grow that back. Um, but give us some insight. Tell us about the kinds of things that vetted VA is really charging forward with.
1: Yeah. We'd love to. So we are underway in a lot of different areas. Um, to say, I hope we get into some of the other stuff too. I don't know what the top I guess this is just mortgage stuff, but so we'll stay on what it's been really about here lately is developing a profile of content that furthers our ability to educate not only from a macro, um, personal capability and accountability standpoint, but from a by the numbers kind of standpoint, if you will, or rudimentary basic tactical level learnings in ways to uh, deploy and then measure uh, impact of those uh, courseware or coursework uh, with different individuals and entities. So not only are we making that impact with the real estate agent and the originator, uh, but we're also making that impact with lenders now and even partnerships with um, associations. Um, Our newest partnership with the association of independent mortgage experts, I'm sure y'all are familiar. It's a broker association. There's always, you know, Here's what I'll say, there are lightning rods everywhere I found out in this industry. And the best thing to do is put on a brave face and run through and do the things that you gotta do regardless. But I think that AIM is exceptional at a few things, or many things really, um, advocating for the broker probably one, but they're doing advocacy work with us to impact how veteran escrows are collected and if they're collected or required to be in states where otherwise they wouldn't be due a uh, disability associated with the service. So creating a lot of different impact chains like that, creating specific education work for our internal people, uh, for other partners, and then now even getting down to the nitty-gritty with veterans um, and kind of professionals at large. So we've put out our white paper, which was uh, kind of a 10-step approach to encountering some of the biggest myth. It, you always have different arguments and complaints, like, oh, the pictures are Adobe Photoshop military, they don't look very military. It's like, okay, next time you get Griffith and Silkies and a beard, you're welcome. It's like, <laughs> hey, there's other myths, you know, you're not covering these myths. It's like, okay, next time you get more slides and more pages and you're welcome, right? Like, And, it's, and Chris it's, and his Silkies, got it. Yeah, right. You okay. can't please everybody, but the goal was to take and using critical analytics of data, which is what we have, warehouse from all of our membership, right? Internal to of BA. Uh, and comparing and analyzing it against other sources of data, like Humda data or GMA data, census data, all sorts of different consumer data and uh, professional data that's out there, we can begin to see trends and we can begin to analyze the different impacts that certain people or uh, education levels have to the, uh, the experience of the average veteran. So it's been a busy three years now, I guess, we've been underway. Uh, we've got a lot of growth kind of going on. I guess that gives a pretty good wave top. Oh, one more. We're getting ready to have summer camp. Ah,
0: summer camp, camp, camp. time again.
1: so will be our second iteration of our uh, cultural event, which is where we bring this year. It'll probably be 150 to 300. We're capping at 300 like because of supplies, but we'll probably bring, I would guess, around 175, maybe 200 professionals out to North Texas for three days of fun-filled events from shooting guns to airboats to regular boats to lakes to fishing to noodling, all kinds of stuff. So it's a good event to come out and see what our culture is about. We're going to have some veterans attending this year and some people not necessarily associated with the training. Last year's event was closed only to membership. This year we're opening it up to those that really want to understand what we're about. Um, We have a tight community and our desire is to grow, but not at the risk of outpacing our culture. Uh,
0: always an issue in every echelon, in every organization, in every business. Uh, I, I see culture destroyed faster by rapid growth than probably any other single factor. Well, maybe greed, um, but there's another one that spins back to, well, historic. And uh, we talked about this before we went live, that there are obviously a lot of bad players and individuals and companies and so on and so forth. And yeah, well uh the almighty dollar drives a lot of what goes on here so
1: people are skeptical of profit and or over profit like the actions of a few definitely determine the posture of many right yes of course in general when you don't understand something like especially the profit in a certain industry or anything else everyone's always out to think that someone's out to screw them or everything else most of the time when i find people or companies screwing people or doing bad things it's not because they're bad people or they're setting out to screw people or they're a bad company they don't know they aren't aware they don't have access to like these types of things become true when you have dialogues with them but generally i would say people aren't bad and people are not out to hose people and profit isn't a bad thing it's definitely a good thing capitalism ultimately is the thing that drives us all forward that's why we lead economically.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Don't think for a minute that you're going to come across anybody in our industry
1: that's going to knock capitalism. Right. Everyone's like, China, China, China. It's like, listen, China's awesome. Like there's a lot of awesome things to be intriguing about China. If you take a step back and look at it in an unbiased way, but ultimately, unless you unlock the power of individuals, of hopes, of dreams, of investment, of small business, like, how do you build an engine to compete with it? You know? And so I think that capitalism profit shouldn't be something people are afraid of all the time look to create some look to create value that substantiates it ah
0: that's interesting okay um that's probably one of the things that separates true capitalism from other political economic systems throughout history i'm not sure that we're doing it quite right but then again i'm not sure that we it's hard to do right that's for the
1: record that's That's worth pointing out. It's hard to do capitalism, right? It's hard to continually bring value, innovate, show up, problem solve, handle the surprises, deal with the people. It's hard to build businesses, right? And that's why it takes individual liberty and people that have a really strong hope and dream and desire to pursue something because otherwise they quit. If it didn't matter to them, if they were just getting paid hourly to do it, like you wouldn't do that. Would you create this podcast again for $25 an hour? If i
0: as a, as an employee, would I do the work yeah, working for Chris? Work. Yeah, like you know how to do it all. Yeah, you might you might convince Jen though, um, and she's even lived in Texas. Well, I guess we both have, but um, yeah, she's certainly lived in a more northern part of Texas. So, Chris, I don't want to you know beat the four hundred pound gorilla, as it were, but. Obviously, when we're able to get somebody who's kind of got an overview of what's going on in the finance space, in the mortgage space, in the origination space, in the consumer end game space with how crazy fucked up the market is moving right now. I've got to ask you. I've got to see what your insight is. I've got to see what your take is. We talked a little bit about this before we went live. And... It seems like there's a lot of unjust panic. Um, And again, like money, fear is a condition that exists in human nature. We're not gonna run from it. We're not gonna hide from it. It's going to exist. It's a motivator. It's a driving factor. It's one of those things that humans have had since the dawn of humanity. Um, I mean, we're not being chased by saber tooth cats here, but you smell what I'm cooking. Um, So we talked a little bit about the fact that it really hasn't changed a whole lot in your space other than change. You still want to see people buy real estate. You still want to buy real estate. You still want to see people invest wisely. You still want to see those markets move. And not just from a capitalist standpoint, but from a this is what's best for the consumer standpoint. I think
1: it's very hard to... Show anything different than this that in five, ten years from now, over the next ten years, the cheapest time to have bought a house would have been yesterday. Today, yep. Well, Friday before rates jumped. <laughs> but relax, seriously, because that stuff's going to come back down too. All things. Yeah,
0: that, that part doesn't bother me. And uh, for those of you that are kind of watching what goes on in the mortgage-backed securities market or with what goes on in mortgage rates. And please understand that right now, that is, the mortgage-backed securities market is really the sole dictating factor. Now, there were times the majority of them up until recent years, where we could look at the stock market, we could look at the yield, we could look at the bond, and kind of have a solid correlation as to what mortgage rates are going to do. But uh, pretty much since the start of the pandemic, there's been a pretty significant disconnect between all of the financial markets, right? Normally, we would have seen, or historically, I should say, we would have seen where if the stock market was down, institutional investors are backing off, putting money into securities, uh, granted the... lower yield but lower risk and obviously volume is a big driving factor in financial markets and investment markets so securities would be up including mortgage-backed securities and when mortgage-backed securities are up rates are down today is the complete opposite stock market i got cnbc on the tv here behind me is obviously getting crushed the dow's down nearly two percent Uh, We don't want to talk about Bitcoin. I'm not going to get into the cryptos uh, getting crushed. Investment markets are getting crushed, all of them. And mortgage rates are going up. So we've got a lot of disconnect there. But I do think, and Chris would probably agree, that a lot of what goes on in the mortgage-backed securities market, what pertains to mortgage rates, is preemptive. We're a little smarter than what goes on with, say, the federal government that way. And now there's rumors we're talking about the Fed hiking three quarters of a point. That's a big jump, the biggest we've seen in a long time. And I do think that what 12 out of the last 15 increases with the Fed have immediately resulted in mortgage rates coming back down. So that'll probably be an immediate thing today isn't really going to be a significant long-term impact. And I do think that the impending recession impending I keep using that word like we're not already in it um that the recession will also drive mortgage rates back down I'm thinking early next year but I would love to have your
1: take on it Chris you know I appreciate that I think that's a, that was a long question so I'm going to do my best to kind of work
0: right. would you would you please to... give us a thorough analysis of every available Listen. investment market on the planet in 30 seconds
1: in 30 seconds <laughs> Here's what I would say. I think that every homeowner out there and every professional out there needs to get very serious about having a conversation about a few different things. And those things are one, monthly debt, consumer debt, specifically the debt that you're holding that you may not need to be, or that you're holding that you don't have to be. Consider how you might rid yourself of of those things. If it's not benefiting you tremendously in a way that overall increases the thing that you should focus on is step number two, bettering your household cash flow. Whether it's reducing your expenses, reducing the fun things that you do, or doing other things as a side hustle, whatever, to create additional revenue, um, that's something you should focus on so free you can increase your liquid reserves. Liquid reserves, not cash necessarily in the bank, because I don't think that that's been a very smart thing over the last six months, right? It hasn't. That's what, anyway, whatever.
0: And and here's a weird one. Here, it's zero smart because it earns zero. Be yep. glad you're not in European countries where military invasions might result in the complete cessation of banking
1: operations, and now you're actually losing money. Right. But building up your liquid reserves so that you have staying power in the event or win the event of a downturn, whether it's personal, national, regional, local, whatever, prepare yourself. Why? Because piss poor prevent... Piss <laughs> Sorry, I haven't done this in a while. Prior proper planning prevents piss poor performance. Well said, eventually. But seriously, your liquidity matters. So a lot of people have liquidity in different places. Some of them have it in mattress money, right? Money in their saves, money in the bank, money in mutual money, market funds, CDs, stocks, bonds, right? Some of those things are a little more liquid than others. I use assets that allow liquidity and compound at the same time. doesn't matter. Make sure that you're doing those things, right? because it is likely like you said that the that we're going through another economic cycle we've been in a growth cycle for a while now it remains to be seen if we're in an economic down cycle or recession and i think that that word a lot of people want to like are we in a recession yet are we, oh my god it's like if you don't shut up i'm gonna pull this car over and we're gonna turn around and go home like <laughs> knock it off it's like at what point is it like that same dynamic truthfully i'm not trying to be rude or crass here but no that's not rude or crass that's a great analogy but here's the thing the market's adjusted and the things are true long before you recognize or validate the word being true so does it really matter right now if we are or aren't look at the things around you look at the things that are going on make your best estimate even if we are in a period of recession here personally we're still buying we're still buying real estate we're still refinancing real estate we're still investing into new assets If you're worried about the market, you probably might be in a place where you could experience some issues that are going on. If you're losing population, if you're losing jobs, if you're losing corporate headquarters in mass and it's creating negative overall impact to you economically and locally, that might be an indicator that you're due for a stalling or a small adjustment. But I still think that national housing supply isn't in a position, even when considering rentals and new properties coming online, isn't in a place where you're looking at, Major catastrophe, if anything, the major catastrophe I think that's more likely people should be worried about is what inflation may continue to do to drive prices in housing if they don't get certain things under control. But there's a book out there for those looking here. You can see it. This is a book I would recommend and have recommended to a lot of people. I'm taking my entire company through it right now. If you're listening and you want to follow along, you can join Be My Neighbor group on Facebook, small group right now, just starting it up with our company, but I'm taking them through and helping them understand this one book. This book is a book I read for the first time a little over a decade ago now. It's impacted how I invest and look at different markets. It's called Emerging Real Estate Markets by a gentleman named David Lindahl. Uh, David Lindahl someone who invests in commercial property, uh, multifamily, a lot of different things like that, but has great insight and understanding into what Causes markets to change, right? So, great book to check out to understand what's going to go on, maybe near you, understand some of the immediate drivers because real estate is not a national thing. No. What everyone stop like pretending that it's the same temperature everywhere? It's the same price, it's the same problem. It's not. It's all well, local.
0: God, there was even a time, if I remember, it's been a while, where different states or regions in the mortgage space were different i remember some of these big wholesale lenders would actually publish a different rate sheet for colorado than texas
1: yeah absolutely state adjustments it was a very common thing i mean i haven't looked at rate sheets enough here lately i don't think we do it anymore right yeah do you even get rate sheets i will say i don't even get rate sheets in my email anymore maybe just be a good filter i don't know uh that but could be State adjustments were definitely a thing. I'm not yeah. certain if they still are. It wouldn't surprise me terribly if they are, because it ultimately it's a lender's assessment of risk. That said, a lot of the state adjustments that you used to see those lenders making, what markets are the popular markets right now there, y'all? Most of the time it was the rural markets where they provided an adjustment because of the state that we're going into it's a safer market. Now that's where a lot of the people are growing. It's a lot of where the new growth is occurring. It's a lot, it's where new corporate investment's occurring, right? Because corporations still want to grow. Jobs are still out there. Right. There's still opportunity. The problem is cost and affordability everywhere. So if an employer can't give the average person a massive raise to compete with the local cost and the economy that they're in, what do you do? Well, why don't we go to a cheaper place? And then those people won't be need to pay. You know, we can pay them 75 percent of this amount here and they're still going to be one hundred and twenty five percent better over there. Right? So I think you have a lot of corporate movement. I think you have a lot of job movement, people movement. And I think that's going to reshape a lot of things and hopefully keep things like state adjustments out of the way.
0: But this happens in every major economic cycle, yeah. which is exactly how you described it, which is true. Recession is, I agree, a term that is going to be unique to specific markets, specific products, those kinds of things. Are we seeing a recession in the lumber industry? Are we? And obviously, what you're ready to turn the car around over is the real estate stuff, because the entire free world wants to know when the bubble's going to burst.
1: Man, it's like y'all did math. Yeah, remember what that's called? That's what we, <laughs> we go up and down. Yeah, that's a sine wave because I went up first. Think oh, that. okay. Sine wave, I believe. Uh, the direction, anyway. I, I
0: didn't do all that well in calculus. I'm not going to
1: tell movement occurs generally, whether it's up down, like cycles happen and everything. There's opportunities, regardless of where you're at in those cycles. Typically you can find opportunities depending on what your need plan goal is in those things. I, I think long-term to bet against real estate as an asset. I don't know. You'd have to explain to me kind of how you justify it because I think it has more intrinsic value, more intrinsic demand and ultimately, it's a cost associable with shelter human requirement, uh, regardless of what's going on anywhere. So, if the US collapses completely, China overtakes everything, it's like, where do I want to be? I wanted a bunch of houses and maybe some apartments, maybe a beef and cattle and land thing, because people still need those things. They still need a place to live. They need to eat, right? I think it's focused on fundamental pieces of need. And so, I don't know. I'm encouraging people to buy steel depending on certain. Pieces. I think that some wary, some borrowers should be wary, and some markets should be wary, at least in the type of assets or investments that they're making. Um, that said, uh, you know it, it'd be kind of case by case. I don't want to make things too general on that downside. I think too many people do. I, I comp, like there's this thing that Moody's put out. They highlighted it was pretty ambiguous about how they determine most overvalued markets. And what seemed to me, from what I've known, is going on regardless of what's driving growth, markets that have grown rapidly for 12 months by certain percentages were flagged as likely to depreciate up to 25% due over uh, valuation, right? One of them was listed was Sherman, Texas here in my backyard, right? So when I see it, it's like, okay, well, critical review here. The publication, like, thinks that I'm wrong and I say I'm wrong only because the opinion that I've personally arrived at after considering all of the things really close to me with a microscope is it's not the case. I think more than likely we're in for like everyone else, kind of a national pause while everyone emotionally reacts to what they don't know is going to happen just yet. Right. And then the markets that were positioned well continue to push back and grow. I don't think there's a drop in value. I think if anything, there's stagnation for a period or a, a decrease to the pace of growth, even if there's not stagnation. Um, I think you have to show supply issues. I think you have to show job issues, population issues, and a lot of other things if you're going to show um, things like that article intends. Right, an overvaluation poised for a major drop in value. I think that they're. I think I appreciate the article because I get to come out and very easily say I think they're wrong, and I'd like to be on the record saying I think they're wrong, and I'll let you, you know. You are know now later because I'll be on here saying stuff later. But we'll see. Who knows, right? Like anything can happen globally. We really are to a degree in a global economic environment. I've heard people, really knowledgeable people here recently say, inflation's through the roof. They're destroying the value of a dollar. Well, the value of a dollar isn't necessarily just associable to inflation. Inflation itself, if anything, is only associable to a change in prices, not necessarily the strength of a dollar, right? Because that is – in judgment to a lot of different things, globally, global economics like considered, right? So I think inflation is challenging in a lot of things. I think far too many times people think inflation is only when the government prints a ton of money. There isn't a supply side, a demand side. There can be all different types of inflation, things that cause prices to go up, things that can be healthy in that matter. Not to say we're in a healthy inflationary environment or not to say that prices are going up necessarily because of demand or supply alone, but all three things working together. It's like, I am crapped in planet. Did you notice
0: that? Uh, we got it.
1: Okay. <laughs> yeah.
0: I, <laughs> I wonder I wonder how the uh, closed captioning will uh, go with that. But yeah, okay, we got okay. it. yeah. Hopefully think, it'll pick that up. Um, right. And the inflation is an interesting one because, again, we've we got such a short memory. It's just amazing to me. We, we were falsely suppressing inflation for a decade, maybe more. If we were getting our... The normal well, 2 to 3% per year, the shit would cost more today than it does after a 10%
1: inflationary year anyway. It's like almost a decade stall out. And so I talk about yeah. something in something I call a five-year VA house hustle, which is my approach to buying a single family house, assessing market, location, acquisition, rehab, rehab, and then uh, resell or uh, cash out valuation period, right? Five-step approach is how I go about it. But I talk about something uh, during that process during market um, or location specifically about buying back in time. And when you can go into a market that's growing, that fundamentally is changing because of new drivers with employee ability, right? With jobs, with population, with infrastructure, all of those things. And you can buy a house cheaper than what it sold for in 1995. You're buying back in time. Like not all markets you can assess it that way, but in a growing market on the heels of what we came through from 2008, where they just stalled out after it dropped, right for a long period of time, was going to be like slingshot engaged, right? Like Ricky Bobby, here you come. Buddy. Like that's what it felt like for me. It's like, oh my god, this property is not going to sell in less than it did in 1995 ever again. Like nothing, you know what I mean? Cost isn't even like associable to then, right? So. I think when you can find certain markets, again, they they need to be growing. They can't just be like declining markets where that's obviously not going to work. But not very many markets decline over decades of time that, that never correct. And markets that do have big declines ultimately eventually correct. Look at like Detroit, right? Like there's a bustling little market that I bet people weren't betting on a decade ago. Some yeah, of that's true. Baltimore went through that
0: cycle. Ago. Yep, same kind of thing. Best time to
1: invest in real estate is when everyone thinks you're an idiot for investing into real estate. (laughs) So,
0: yeah, that certainly brings up an interesting piece. And yes, Jen, I know we're going to run over but we always do with Chris, so let it fly. (laughs) Um, The cost of real estate, the supply and demand issue that's driving it has, it's gone up. The cost of real estate's gone up a lot in recent years. Um, I'm still big on acquisition, cost to borrow the money has gone up this year a lot no question but it hasn't been perfunctory there's just no way I'm getting now oh, okay yes last year I purchased property i don't know 3% interest rate and it's gained 50% in value and i wish i were making that up but there is actually a property that i have that has does fit that formula am i really going to give a shit that it's now going to cost me 6% to borrow the money if my annual return is 50, I'll take my 44 net instead of my 46 net or my 48 net or whatever everybody is upset about because interest rates are no longer two, they're five or they're not three, they're six, whatever the case may be. But I think you said it before we went on. Or maybe we've actually been live when you said it. The The real estate isn't going to get any cheaper than this. Yeah, I
1: don't think do will. I think this. here's what I like everyone they have. Arguments that not that are incoherent, like my speech sometimes. Apologies. And what I mean to say is, they That's say the whiskey, the get it. lumber, and all of these things and prices are all going to go through the roof, and they're going to stay through the roof. And then there's going to be a big housing collapse. Everyone's going to sell their houses with lots and lots of equity to move to where.
0: I'd, I'd sure. love an answer to that. Anybody who knows the answer to that,
1: please let us know. Mortgage I have on the house that we bought for 740 4 years ago that's now worth probably a million and a half is a two and a half percent rate. Like my payment on the mortgage is cheaper than it would be renting something. A quarter of the house's size and like half the quality, right? So what I mean to say is if the prices are high, there's no building going on, the market's down. Like if people have staying power, or even if they don't, for the record, what happens during major economic events now with housing? Dun, da, 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 the government's here to help forbearance for all, whatever they do, right? They've shown their hand. And the reason why is because destabilizing or, or them not doing something to deliberately stabilize the housing market against foreclosure ultimately they learned in 2008 foreclosure, if it hurt anybody the most long-term or the banks, a lot of the times the banks didn't do well taking back and managing and holding all of those assets. No, they didn't. Didn't do well being sitting and doing nothing either. Many of the banks had a big loss because of theft and other things too. So all I mean to say is, I don't understand how you're arguing that real estate value is going to come down when you're talking about inflation and the value of money inherently dropping rapidly faster than ever before. If anything, that tells me that I'm very happy to have my two and a half rate, 30 year fixed loan against the value of an asset that's likely to be inflated just as fast or better than anything else, right? Only this one can cash flow too, and I can change my circumstance. So I don't know. I think that they're largely just people that are pessimistic. They see, Negative stuff everywhere. I think that they I don't know. They make well and
0: part smart. of the problem is there's a lot of juxtaposed commentary out there. There's a there's a lot of conflicting information and Again, I think part of it is that it is hyper-local. What's going on in your backyard is different than what's going on in my backyard.
1: Another great point. It's not a one-size-fits-all kind of situation that we're dealing with, especially in real estate value. It always has been a local, regional, state-based kind of a thing more than it has just been a national uh, kind of a piece too. Even though we have national cycles, I think that arguably the last 10 years have been really more of a national cycle of growth catching up from the previous issues that we had. Uh, compared to anything else. And then you saturate it with demographic. And like, I don't know. I think it's going to be an amazing decade for homeowners. I think it's going to be a great period to be bold in. I think that it remains to be seen. I'm going to quote Logan Motoshami here. It remains to be seen just how many houses and how much sex and how many babies the millennials are going to have. My bets are going to come through and they're going to really deliver on the baby category once they settle into housing, which they're all doing now still, right? So I don't think that short-term, mid-term, long-term, I'm investing in real estate and I'm not slowing down at all.
0: Yeah, I think that that's wise, pretty much uh, regardless of the market, the space, the locale, I think that the Supply and demand issue is something we probably don't solve for a long time. When somebody asks me about when real estate values are going to come back down, I'll usually say something like, in 2050, they're going to come back down to whatever they were in 2045.
1: We're seeing a change now for what it's worth, and higher rates absolutely impact consumer confidence and home buying. And so when you look at new home applications taken, and you look at the number and the decline and everything else, economic sentiment, all of what the consumer is weighing, before they do this massive thing, right? Biggest thing they're doing this decade, probably. Yeah. right? All of that weighs on them. And so I think, you know, I think ultimately that even when there's not a problem, you have kind of a stall and impact, a kind of decision point. We're seeing that right now. But to that being said, it's not like inventory now has rebounded and we're at like great numbers. We're still yeah. very like, Logan, again, a savagely unhealthy housing market. It's a very unhealthy housing market because- Demand is driving inflation harder than anything. Sure. Same problem here. Yes. I think what we've defined in the, what's
0: basically the Denver metropolitan area is that a balanced market, a six month inventory would be about 30,000 listings. We might have what, 15% of that now, maybe even 20. If we have some local real estate agents watching chime in. Um, But the supply and demand issue. To, I mean, there's just so many factors that have culminated where we're at now. Builders not building. Um, you know, we don't do multi generational living. We haven't for you know, well, the entire existence of America the way they do in Europe, Asia, Latin America, etc. That's certainly a problem. Um, now, and I got corrected on this this last week. Now, the biggest generation, the millennials, are buying homes. Uh, look at Jen nodding. Yeah, power to the people. Um, no, you're only a million stronger than the boomers. And it's just because <laughs> oh a lot my. of the, the boomers are aging out of this thing we call life. Um, so That's such yeah.
2: a nice way to put it. Aging It'll, out of
0: life. Aging out of life. Uh, well, there are days where eternal rest has a nice ring to it. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we've got... And the boomers, they're a great example. Uh, huge population all living longer, all staying in their homes longer. I mean, there are just so many things that have been coming for either decades or even centuries, uh, and certainly in years, um, that are compounding the supply and demand issue that, yeah, I cannot imagine there's ever going to be a time where any piece of real estate somebody would buy today would ever be worth less than what they're going to buy it for today. I cannot imagine that that's possible we're gonna yeah, have ebbs and, and flows and we're that gonna to blinds blinds. To
1: every house that's here now and every house that was built 30 years ago that's here now right that those houses are here 20 years from now houses get demolished all of the time right houses fall apart houses have to be completely fixed refixed reinvested into the market people are always going to buy homes even if interest rates are crazy interest rates are crazy right now nowhere nearly as crazy as they've been and is if we do move into an economic downturn right into a kind of a down cycle of an economic event what's going to happen with Fed policy what can they do what can't they do what you know what impact does it create on themselves and the and the the nation if they keep things in certain situations so I think ultimately there's not a lot of cause for freak out at all here I think everybody should get back to work there's a lot to be done there's a lot to fix and I think that most of what's going to happen to follow is everybody the economy is everybody's literal emotional like choices behind spending their money. What's more emotional spending your money? Not a lot. Little. Yeah.
0: Very so little.
1: People spend their money emotionally. People think emotionally before they think logically. I can prove it. I have this thing I used to do to prove it. You want me to prove it? Oh, yeah. Last if night, you... as Aaron slept quietly in the bed, I creeped into the bedroom and open the door quietly. And I sneaked in. Slowly slid her panties to the side so I could fit my socks in the drawer without waiting. <laughs> I was putting up laundry, you see. But people react emotionally before they react logically is what I mean <laughs> to say. And when it comes to spending your money. <laughs>
2: <laughs> i'm
0: about just- to take this podcast to a whole new level.
2: Right, going to be rated X soon. i think we're
1: there but
2: look you can't help
1: it right people react emotionally before they react logically know that about yourself and know that about other people too and give them a little grace because of it right and understand that with money an emotional thing when it gets spent that people are going to react emotionally so they're doing that right now and i think that's going to cause as much of an impact as anything else if the r word comes out here Um, but i think that there's no reason to wait for the end of the story wait till you're the punchline think about it for half a second and then react or else you might find yourself laughing when there wasn't really a joke.
0: True Just story. Yeah. And, and of course, we do live in a world where a lot of what goes on in political America, corporate America, has to be driven on fear.
1: Well, how many of us so feel judged? Like we're judged on if we or how we reacted or if we didn't react and how we didn't react, right? Like you don't have to, like, re- relax. Think about it, breathe, make a good choice for what you want to do long term, right? And try not to make hugely emotional decisions, even though you know emotions impact your logic and thought process.
0: Very true and very difficult to do. But yes, uh, wise words this time around from Chris Griffith. Slow down, take a breath, look at it with a little clearer vision. Uh, it's hard to do. I know human nature is a unique condition. Uh, but yeah, Jen. I know we're way over. Go ahead. Take <laughs> us so Unless there's anything else you want to uh, hear about with Chris and his wife and her panty drawer.
2: Oh, boy. All right. Guess not. I mean, we, we don't some share reactions it was just a story, folks. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, we did get some reaction to it. But yes, thank you. And I do think yeah. it's important for people to slow down, take a breath, take a step back, look at the bigger picture.
1: But yeah, we are emotional beings. It's work that works better when you type it out and people have to read it because I'm telling you, it you it gets you better. Like that's how I experienced that statement for the first time, like eight years ago when I saw it. And I thought, oh man, that's epic. Totally had yeah. me. Totally had me. Didn't see that. It's like the did you know guy. hmm Right mm-hmm. On TikTok, you know what I'm talking about Justin Right. It's like, oh, okay. Anyway, sorry. I'll shut up now.
0: All right, Ditto. go ahead, Jen. It's all you.
2: All right, guys. Well, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the show. Thanks, Christopher, for being on. I'm sure we'll have you probably the week after Jason Frazier in 2023. Three, which is like i think i'm booking like september 18th or something of next year it's crazy um so big thank you to everybody who has supported our show for the last five years i just want to throw that out there uh, but if you want to find out more about us you can text tips to 63566 it will pin you back all kinds of stuff um, you can get a copy of adam's book Just the tips, you can book a free hour coaching with us, uh, past episodes of the show, but big thing right now is you can get your tickets for Social Media Day Denver, which we're just about, just over like two and a half weeks out, September, or September, June, I'm thinking Mile High Mastermind already, June 30th is Social Media Day Denver, Uh, thank you to Metro State University for helping us out with that event, Um, so again, you can get tickets by texting TIPS to 63566. We've got speakers on everything from Facebook ads, Adam's gonna talk about video, I'm gonna talk about Meta's um, scheduling software, kind of everything, some mindset speakers, so definitely don't miss out on that. And then right after that, tickets will go on sale for September for Mile High Mastermind, which is September 16th and 17th. Uh, Thank you to University of Denver on that one. We have a great time partnering with the schools for the different events, so yeah. Find Mm -hmm. all that and more by texting tips to 63566. All right.
0: Well, thank you, Jen. And Chris, thank you. Always a pleasure to have you on. And uh, hopefully we'll get to see you sooner rather than later. And hopefully sooner than the fall of 23.
1: Hey, listen, tomorrow's my birthday. So we can do this the day before my birthday again next year. As a birthday present to myself, I would like to say (laughs) that I'm sorry for how busy we're likely going to be in a refinance period, which would be my best guess like to say to my future self also a way to go getting it right on not freaking out because the markets that you were following did in fact blow up and you made some sound decisions, right? Oh,
0: I love (laughs) it. Perfect.
1: I, and I am going to go back and watch this. I'm
0: going to remember your birthday next year and I'm going to pull this up and see how right Chris was. And it won't be the first time. Thanks again, Chris. Thanks to all of you watching or listening live or in syndication You can catch the next episode of How I Met Your Mortgage at 10.30 Mondays Mountain Time. Um, And yeah, I guess that's it. You guys all have a great week.
2: Bye, guys.